Thanks, Josh. I think it's the only time I'm ever introduced that formally as Mr. Grant Ship. I was just reading up the page. No, no. <laughs> It's good to be here again this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, you can just refer to me as Grant, that's okay. Uh, other friends refer to me as Oyu, or anything else I typically respond to as well. Uh, I have the privilege and the honour to generally share uh, and preach once a month here at this church, and, and I do really love the opportunity to do that. Uh, and we've been working through over a period of time Uh, the book of Colossians, and we're actually up to Colossians chapter 3. So before we get there, though, uh, I just wanted to share a little story about uh, our holiday. We went to New South Wales over the holidays. We were supposed to go over to Denmark, uh, but we took the wrong corner and it ended up over in Sydney, New South Wales. Uh, We actually went over there for my nana's funeral. Uh, It was a great honour and a privilege to go there. My nana lived to a ripe old age of 97, uh, and she was such a faithful and lovely uh, person, and I feel indebted to uh, have known her. And more than that, for my children to have known their great-grandparents. And uh, she was the last of my grandparents, and so we went over there, and her funeral was a real celebration where all the family got together. And isn't it easy to celebrate a person's life when they've lived a rich life? Uh, But more than that, when they know their saviour, and you know where they're going, and it's not the end, it's the beginning. And so it was a great opportunity to go and share, and uh, Caleb was asked if he would read uh, in the funeral, so I got to share some words, and, and Caleb read Psalm 23, and he was, had the opportunity to read it from her Bible. And uh, at the end of it, they gave, they gave Caleb her Bible as well. And so he's got this great legacy and this great gift uh, handed down over the generations. So that was great. But along the way, so we, it was a last-minute trip and we went over there because we heard my, my nena had passed away and we drove over there and when we left Wollongong where the funeral was, we were going to come back and we went, which way do we go? Anyway, we went via Canberra, Melbourne Ad- and Adelaide because uh, we thought that was the quick way. We may have been wrong in that. But uh, we were travelling between Melbourne and Adelaide and I can remember we were driving along and it had been the worst day. It was drizzling, it was raining. Uh, we weren't doing as many Ks, so we stopped off and, and did some stuff along the way. But we were in a camper trailer and you put it up and it gets wet and then you have to fold it down and it's wet. And I'm like, oh, really? This isn't going to be great. And we're driving along and I was praying. And uh, as we pulled into the stop, it actually stopped raining. There were lots of grey clouds. And we just kept, I remember saying to the kids, they said, oh, I think it's going to rain. And I went, no, I think God's got this. I think we're good. And all of a sudden, blue blue sky rolled in, or really the grey clouds rolled out. And uh, it didn't rain at all. And we had this beautiful evening. Uh, Saw the stars. There was no clouds. Woke up the next morning. Still hadn't rained. We played some cricket uh, in this free campsite. And Nat looked up and went, I think we might want to start packing up now. And grey clouds moved in. And literally, as we, uh, before we even pulled out of that space, it started to rain. And I just, you know, it was just one example of how we go, God's got this. You know, God's with us. And even the tiny little minute details, he's for us, isn't he? And it's good. And I just wanted to share that. Uh, the trip was fantastic, and there's lots more things that I could share, but I realise uh, we're short on time, and so we're going to kick straight off into Colossians chapter 3. But we have to do a little bit of a refresher. Towards the end of Colossians chapter 2, uh, we, we hear about how Christ circumcised us. 
Uh, he cut out our flesh out. In fact, it, all, it, it tells us that Christ killed our fleshly nature. He killed us and he buried us. And then he raised us to life through the same superhuman power that raised Christ from the dead. Not with the same nature that we had when we died, but with a brand new nature. Uh, now not a flesh, but in the spirit. And in verse 20, it says, you're a new creation, so stop trying to fit in. Stop trying to fit in with the world, with what they say is good. Stop trying to fit in for your nature, your character, your personhood is now found in Jesus Christ. And your citizenship is not found here in Australia or here in this world. Your citizenship is now in heaven. That's your home, Paul is saying. And you'll never fit into this one, so stop trying. And more than that, in verse 23, it says, and besides, this stuff, the stuff of the world might look good, but it's not. There is no wisdom. Their wisdom is not wise. God's wisdom is. And their stuff has no value to us and who we are. And that's where we find ourselves before we pick up chapter 3. So let's quickly pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the fact that you have made us a new creation, you have given us a new nature, you dwell within us and you see us not as we see ourselves, but you see us as the new creation. And Father, we thank you for that. This morning, as we look at your word, may our eyes be lifted to you. May we see you in more fullness and therefore get a glimpse more of who we are. Lord, just bless us, give us fresh revelation, renew our minds, refresh our spirit, rejuvenate our bodies as we hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, If then you were raised with Christ, if then you were raised with Christ, he's drawing back to what we just covered. But more than that, he's saying, if that is you, he says, I want to talk to you. So if you're not a Christian, then he's not actually speaking to you. He's not addressing you in this point. He addresses you in other parts of Scripture. And he says, if you don't know Christ, you need to know Christ. If you haven't laid down your life, you need to do that because he has so much he wants to give you. He wants to take the sin out of your life and he, he wants you to be a part of his family and he wants you to know the Father in heaven. And he addresses that. But right now, right here, he says, if you've been raised, he says, I want to talk to the, to the Christians here. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Paul states outright where our focus should be. And in fact, this here, he says, this is a call to Christians about where your focus is. And over the next 17 verses, that's what he's going to call us to. He's going to say, Where's your focus? Because I'll tell you where it needs to be. Your focus, he says here, should be on things above. Your focus should be where Christ is because this will determine your mindset and more than that, it will ultimately determine your actions as well. And he says, where's your focus? He says, I want to tell you where it should be. It should be where Christ is at the right hand of God. We've looked at this before, but what does God's right hand mean? What does it represent? It represents his power and his authority. Wherever you read his, God's right hand, specifically it's often talking about Jesus Christ. But more than that, it's talking about his power and his authority. It's talking about a seat of blessing as well. And Paul is saying, your focus, your attention, 
should be where Christ is seated, in the seat of blessing, where he is in fact resting or at rest because he's seated there. That, Paul is saying, is where our focus should be. On his power, on his authority, on what he has achieved through his power, what he has achieved through his authority, on what through his power and authority he has accomplished. He has overcome. He has conquered. He has provided salvation. He has redeemed. He has given his spirit. He has invited us into his family, provided a way for us to become righteous, to have joy, to have peace, to become righteous, to not be condemned. He has given you his love. And I could go on and on and on. And Paul says, I invite you to have your focus and your attention on Christ and where he is seated. That, Paul says, is where your focus should be on. Christ in his glory, understanding who he is and what he has done, growing in our knowledge of who he is, and therefore growing in our knowledge of who we are. Because as we understand more of who Jesus is, we understand more of who we are because he has given us his nature. That's the new nature. That's the new personhood he has given us. And this is critical to, under, to living an overcoming life. And Paul says, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which were above where Christ is, seating, resting at the right hand of the Father. Then in verse 2 he says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. And he reiterates, re-emphasizes the point. He says, remember, focus on him. And we need to ensure that our focus is not here on the earth. Why is that important? It's critically important because the earth is fallen. The earth has become, because of our sin and because of the fall, it's become corrupted. It's become broken, cursed and unredeemed fallen and things that do not represent the nature of God and our Father. And he says, I don't want your focus to be on the brokenness. I want your focus to be on Christ and the redeemed. I want your focus to be on who he is, discovering his power and who he is and what he has done. Let that be where your focus and your attention is if you've been raised with him. You see, the things of the earth will distract you. So Paul emphasizes this by saying, ensure your focus is upon Christ and where he is seated in his glory. And then in verse 3 it says, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I love that. For you died, your old nature is dead. He circumcised, he cut it out. We looked at that in chapter 2. And now he says, not a, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That should be an affirming statement. Our life is hidden in Christ. You see, Christ cut out our sinful nature and raised us to life with a different nature. But more than that, he wrapped our life up in Christ himself. What he has, we have. Who he is, we are. So we focus upon Christ and who he is and we get to see and understand more about who we are and more about who the Father sees us as and therefore who we really are, which is what Josh and Ben were talking about, isn't it? Anyone would think we actually talked about it, but we don't talk. Um, we didn't talk about this. 
You see, this understanding, this renewing of your mind is critically important in being raised up in our understanding of who we are and therefore being able to represent Christ in the way he desires us to. Not in the way other people tell us or the way that we believe we should, but in how he desires us to. It ensures that you become kingdom focused and therefore being able to be effective ambassadors and open our eyes and our hearts to be in a position to receive his blessings. Paul says, where's your focus? Ensure it's on him, where he is, because our life is wrapped up in him. Our life is not here. Our life is wrapped up in him. You see, ultimately where your attention is, what you're focused upon will be evidenced through the fruit of your life. And Paul says, where's your focus? Where's your focus? And then in verse 4, he says, when Christ, who is our life, I love that, who Christ, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul here states that our identity is so wrapped up in Christ. Our identity Who we are, our nature is so wrapped up in Christ that he goes so far as to say he is our life. That's an awesome statement, isn't it? And therefore, when he appears, we will also appear in glory. The glory is the ultimate glory when these earthly bodies will fall away and we'll have new bodies and we'll appear with him And I almost want to stop and just focus on this verse. When he comes again, when he reappears, his second coming, this is what it's talking about. And I firmly believe that we're not too far away from it. In fact, I can say today we are closer than we have been any other time in history. And tomorrow we'll be closer again to his coming again. But I firmly believe it's more than that. When you look at what is going on in the world through a biblical lens... Don't look at the world and try and interpret the Bible, but when you look through the Bible and you're able to interpret the things that are happening in this world, it is very hard to say that his coming is not near. He's coming again. And what's more, when he comes again, we come. It says here, it says, when Christ who is our life appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. And why is Jesus coming again? He's going to reign on this earth for a thousand years. And when he comes, he's coming to reign. And why are we going to appear with him in glory? So that we can reign with him. I think this is a thing that we often overlook in churches. When he comes to reign, what's he going to do? He's going to try and restore and bring the world back as it should be. And we will get to live in the earth the way God intended it to be when he created it in the first place. That's exciting. And he calls us and he says, come with me in glory and reign with me and we'll reign together. And he will be our king and every knee will bow down with him. But he will use us and call us to work with him and we will come in glory. You can tell I can stay there and I'm going to push force myself to move on. But isn't that a hallelujah moment? Isn't that an amen moment? He's coming again, people, and we're going to reign with him. And that's good news. And I'm excited about that. What does it look like when the lion lies down with the lamb? When he restores the earth to what it will be like? 
when people will turn weapons into farming equipment because there will not be no need for them anymore. There will be no wars. Everyone talks about the day when the nuclear weapons they can disarm. I'll tell you when that's going to happen, when Jesus comes again and all the weapons will be turned into something else because they will not be needed anymore. And he's going to reign for a thousand years and we will go with glory with him. Paul says, where's your focus? What's your focus on? Because you've been dead to this world and your life is now wrapped up in Christ. It's so integral. So focus on his power and his authority and what he's achieved. Remembering he's going to come back and when he does, you'll rise with him in glory. He says, that's your focus. And then he goes on and we'll look at five verses 5 through 9 and we'll try and move through these quickly. He says, therefore put to death. Your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his desires. I used to read passages like that. All these things take off. Cut them out of your life or put on and focus on this stuff. And I'll tell you the truth, I was overwhelmed. I'm like, I can remember periods in my life where, you know, God would, you read passages and it's like, okay, let's become patient. All right, I'm going to focus on patience today and, and tomorrow I'm going to be kind. And then I'm patient, patient, patient. And the more I try and become patient, the more frustrated I am. And at the end of the day, I try and fool myself into thinking I was patient. And the next day I'm going to, I'm going to be focused on kind. And I get out there and someone's just being an idiot and I just go oh my goodness and I go oh I forgot my patience I have to go back and start again and the frustration or you're so focused on going wow I have to take off all this anger I can't be angry with people and the first thing you go out you go into the traffic and someone cuts you off and you're on your horn and you're blasting it and you go oh my goodness stupid people and then you reflect and go, oh maybe I didn't do so well is that just me or is anyone? Yep, we've got one other. Good. You know, and I used to read them and go, this Christian thing, I don't think I can ever get it. I can't do all of these lists. The more I try and do these lists, the more I realize how bad I am at it. And I used to think, God doesn't want people like that. I'm struggling. I can't do it. I can't even get number list number one. And then you read and there's all these other lists and you go, oh, I just can't do it. But you know what? Paul isn't telling us to focus on the lists here. Paul's actually saying, focus on Christ and where he is. And these things will fall away from you. And in fact, the wording in Greek that says um, in verse 5, put to death then. It actually, the, the wording in there is to deprive of power or destroy its strength. So to destroy the strength, that which is trying to grab you. Put it off. And Paul tells us how to do it. And you might have been like me. And I think there's lots of Christians who get stuck in lists of trying to do. And what's more, you know, one of the lists there, it says, do not judge. What's more is we judge other people by how good they are at those lists, don't we? Oh, gee, you're not very patient today. You weren't very kind to me. But that's not how we live the victorious life, by focusing on those lists. And Paul here gives us the answer. 
as to how we put to death, how we deny the strength, how we cut out and deprive the power of those things and the characteristics in our life. And it's not by focusing on them. In fact, it's the opposite. Paul rather says, and this is the key, the key to living the victorious life, the overcoming life, to putting these to death, to denying the power of these things and these characteristics is by seeking or focusing on the things above where Christ is seated in his power and his authority. Paul says, if you have died, put your focus there and thee you will deprive the power of these things and they will fall off of you. That's what he's saying. Your focus is in him for your life is wrapped up in him. And when that happens, the stuff that the world, that grabs the world's attention will fall off because the world will become strangely dim to those people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Our focus is on Christ and on him. And that's what he's calling us to do. And when... When we put our focus on Christ, on his power, on his authority, on his position, on his accomplishments, on his success, on his nature, then we see who we are and his nature begins to shine and flow through us. And the result will be that we put off, we put to death, we deny the power of those things that do not belong in his kingdom. And then he talks to us about when our focus is on Christ, what we will be putting on. And he says that in verse 10 through 14. He says, And have put on the new man, because that's who we have. He's given us the new, new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who was created in, who created him. And there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but it, Christ is all in in all. We're all the same. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also will do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You see, Paul's saying, when you focus on Christ, not only deny the strength, deny the strength, and you cut off that power of the things that want to grab you. But his nature is clothing you. And his nature is put on you. And most of all, that's love. That's a good thing, isn't it? So Paul says, if you've been raised from death to life in Christ, make sure your focus is on him, for he is your life. Allow his nature to flow through you. And then not only that, not only does he say this is really important stuff that you focus on on him, he actually gives us the keys to ensure that we can keep our eyes on him. And they're simple. Do you want to know what they are? No? Shall we just wrap up? Yes? Josh does? The keys are found in verses 15 to 17. It says here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 to 17, he says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are also called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Who caught the keys, the three keys? Let me tell you what they are. The first one, is let the peace of God rule in your heart. 
Let the peace of God rule in your heart. You see, that's really important because if you can tune into, and we've, if you've been here, I've spoken on the peace of God and, and the peace guides us in, in his path. And if we can tune in to the peace of God and if we can lay it, allow it to rule within our heart and we hear it and we understand it and it guides us, it helps us make decisions it says, actually, this path isn't for you. I want you to go over here and you allow it to rule within you. Then, then by very nature, your attention is on him, but you're responsive to his peace in you. The second key is to let the word of God dwell richly in your hearts. You've all got one of these. Let it dwell richly in your heart. For as you open this and read this, it is all about Jesus. It all points in correct understanding to Jesus and ensures your eyes are on him. And so as you allow his word to dwell within you, as you meditate on it, as you read it, as you understand who he is, it by its very nature causes your eyes to lift up to focus on him. So the first two, one is let the peace of God rule in your heart, guide it, hear it, listen to it, be tuned in to God's peace. Let the word of God dwell richly in your hearts. And the third one is be thankful. Give thanks. Be thankful in all things. Thank our Father in heaven for all things. And this is vitally important because a thankful person, a thankful heart actually positions us to be able to receive from the Father. And as we receive from the Father, we, we tap into more of the peace, which causes us to want to allow his word to dwell, and it kind of continues to grow in us. They're the keys. It's not the lists. That's what will help our eyes stay on him. It's pretty easy, isn't it? Who wants to let his peace rule in our lives? Yes, please. Who wants to let this dwell richly in our hearts? So we know his will, yes. And, and we all want to be thankful, don't we? And the power of thankfulness, and I want to touch on this just briefly, the power of thankfulness. In those moments when you're tempted or, or when you're feeling down or when sin is crouching at the door wanting to grab you, in those moments, thank him. God, I thank, Father, I thank you for Jesus that he came and he gave me salvation. I just want to, I want to thank you. And by its very nature, it takes our eyes off of the temptation and puts it on him. Yeah? When you're struggling with something and you're down and you're beaten up and you're in the midst of something and you're lacking, God, I, Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that I am yours and my life is wrapped up in you. In all things, thank him for everything that he's done for you. But not only what he's done for you, thank him also for that which you're trusting in him which you have not seen with your own eyes yet. Position yourself to be able to receive. That's the keys to living an overcoming life, to ensuring our eyes are focused on him. Let his peace rule in our heart. Let the word of God dwell richly in our hearts and be thankful. If you find peace is not ruling in your heart, spend time in his word. Thank him for something, anything. Start right here and now. Make a promise to yourself today that you are every day going to give thanks to Jesus for what he has done and for what he has not yet done but what you're trusting him to do. 
and watch for the dramatic change in your life, in your position, in your thinking of your life. Yeah? It's good, isn't it? It's a really good word that Paul left us with today. Have you got time for one more story or do we need to cut to lunch? Lunch? Keep going? Very quickly. Luke 13. Luke 13. Let me read this to you. Luke 13, verse 10. Now, he was teaching. This was Jesus. He was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years she had it, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. So here's this woman who comes into the synagogue where Jesus is teaching, and she's like this, literally. She's bent over. She's like that, and she's been like this for 18 years, and she could not lift herself up. She's bent over. This is the position. That's her stature. That's how she was for 18 years. But when Jesus saw her, he called to him. He called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So the minute he laid his hands and said, You're loosed, her position changed from this to this, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound... Think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. There's something in this that we often miss. In her stature, she was bent over. Where, what was she looking at for 18 years? The ground. The ground. And in those days specifically, bent over, looking at the dust of the ground. There's dust all over it, isn't she? That's where she's focusing on. Interestingly enough, dust in the Bible actually represents death, damnation, condemnation and shortcomings. And that's found in Genesis chapter 3 verse 19. 18 years she's been looking at the dust, meaning for 18 years she's been looking at death and condemnation and judgment and her own shortcomings. It says Satan had bound her and that was her stature. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people in the church are the same. They're focused on those things as well. And Paul calls us out of that and says no. So her focus is going to be on death, damnation, condemnation, and therefore her shortcomings and sinfulness. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, and this is important for us to understand in this context. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, it says this, and this is God speaking to the serpent, who is Satan or the devil. It says, so the God said to the serpent, because you have done this, deceiving and leading to the uh, sinful sin entering the world, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than any, every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all of the days of your life. 
Now, we know physically it's not a snake and we often think it's a snake. And, but this is condemnation upon Satan. What God is saying is for the rest of your days, you're going to be focused on death and condemnation and judgment. And you're going to know your lack and you're going to know your sinfulness and you're going to have to live with that. But that's what he feeds on. That's his food. right? That's what it said here. That's his food. To eat dust is to feed on your shortcomings, on your lack, your condemnation, on judgment. This lady spent 18 years looking at the dust and could not lift herself up. And in the same way, I think there's lots of people in the church that do that, and I've already mentioned that. And they're so overwhelmed with everything that they do, they can't lift themselves up. When you are so dust conscious, sin conscious, focusing on your shortcomings and feeling judged and condemned, you are robbed of your joy, of your peace, and you forget the righteousness that you have in Christ. And these things, by definition, are the kingdom of God, according to Paul in Romans. And you've now been robbed of those things. You forget you're no longer kingdom conscious, but you're sin conscious. Now that you are in this position, so sin conscious, lack focused, feeling judged and condemned, so dust conscious, like this lady was, that she, it is now entrenched in you. You now become the devil's food. In 1 Peter it says the devil seeks out, and it says the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. And when your focus is so dust-conscious, so sin-focused, you are easy prey for him. You are easy for him to come along and to deceive you and to take you. Yeah? Therefore, lift your eyes to Christ to see who you really are. Become Christ-focused, kingdom-conscious, and allow the dust to just float off you. That's what Paul is saying. It's the same as what Paul, Jesus said. He said, surely this one who's been bound by Satan for 18 years, it's right for me to heal her so that she can lift up. She fed, she heard the word of Christ who said, be loosed. And she stood up, she embraced it, she allowed it to dwell in her heart. And the first thing she did was she was thankful, was it not? And now she has the opportunity to have peace. The same keys... That Paul said, we see in the life of here displayed in what Jesus did. The more you realize who you are in Christ, the more you will straighten up and walk the way God sees you, with his authority, power, with an overcoming spirit, and most of all as righteous children of God. Therefore, like the unnamed lady, look to Jesus. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Have a thankful spirit and allow his peace to rule in your hearts it's a great little story isn't it when you understand the power and what jesus loosed her from and what she rose up to become is the same as what christ has done for all of us that we may stand straight understanding who we are and now we have the opportunity to look skyward to know our father in heaven let's pray Father, thank you that our life is hidden in Christ. Thank you that when Christ appears, we will appear in glory. Lord Jesus, right now, over this church, I just proclaim your favor and your blessing. And I pray that these three keys, your peace, your word and thankfulness, will be embedded in their hearts so that 2018 will be a year where their eyes and their focus is upon you, Jesus. 
And Lord, as their focus is upon you, may the things of the world just melt away. May the dust that consumes them just, just drop from them. And Lord, may your nature fill them. And may they be known by that. And may it flow through them. And Lord, it is as your nature flows through them as they look to you, that is how this world is changed. And so Lord, this day, I proclaim upon these people, your nature as they look to you, that they will be changing the very heart of this community, of this town, of Esperance, because you flow through them. In Jesus' name we all say, Amen. Amen. You were raised with Christ, therefore seek the things which were above in Christ, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Hallelujah and amen. Amen.